Good morning, everyone. Yes. All right. All right. You're there. Good job. Good job. Well, now that I've uh, got you all mad at me, let me introduce myself. My name is uh, Matt Pierce, and I am a, one of the pastors here at Golden Hills. I'm the pastor of small groups ministry, and also I'm still the pastor of recovery, so I'm kind of wearing two hats right now. It's pretty fun. Um, tonight, or today, if you uh, looked at your bulletin, maybe you've noticed that today is small group Sunday, and we're really excited about that. So we're kind of highlighting the small group ministry here at Golden Hills, and I just want to mention now, in case I forget later, that right after the service um, in the Go Room, which is room 131, you can um, stop by and introduce yourself and meet some of our small group leaders and hear more about the small group ministry, where we're heading. You, if you're interested in getting into a group, you could do that there. You can also um, stop by the connecting point counter and get into a group that way as well. So we wanted to invite you. I think there's donuts in there. They're pretty good. So we wanted to invite you for that. One more quick thing. Believe it or not, Easter is like two weeks from today. It just doesn't seem like it's already time for Easter, but it is. And uh, we put together these really cool cards, flyer kind of a thing, where um, and you can pick up as many of these as you want, but they're they're pretty neat. You can hand them out to friends and family and neighbors, <clears throat> inviting them to come to our, our Easter service. It's got a little map for the church on the back and all the church service times for Easter. There's like 42 this year, I think. But um, anyway, we wanted to let you know about all of those things. And let's pray as we get into God's word. Father, thank you again for your grace and your mercy and um, the rain that we so desperately need, the even just the air that we breathe. Thank you for being a God who invites us to worship. There's no barriers now. We can come to you anytime. And you love us and you're our Father. You receive us. And as we open your word this morning, God, would you open our hearts to receive it today? In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to go ahead and <clears throat> read this passage that we're going to look at today, and then we'll kind of open it up and go through it. We're going to be all over the book of Romans, so get ready to, like, turn those pages or swipe, you know, whatever Bible you have. Romans 12, we're going to start in Romans 12, <clears throat> verse 9. Love must be sincere. Remember that. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. There's a lot there, huh? A lot of things to do. If you have an NIV, maybe the title of that section says, Love in Action, right? This is what people who love do. Uh, if you have an ESV, it says, marks of a true Christian. You know, I get messed up when I read that kind of stuff because for me, I always kind of gravitate toward, okay, this is what I need to do, you know, okay, love sincere, hate, do, do, do. And um, as I was preparing for this message, I got a sense that something wasn't quite right. Whenever I get an opportunity to speak in the big church, right, you start thinking about what you want to say like months in advance. 
And I thought I had it all dialed in. I mean, it's small group Sunday. I found this passage. And, hey, this is a really cool passage on small groups. Like, that's what's going to happen in a small group. And we're training small group leaders to, to do this kind of stuff. And I was getting closer and closer to today. And I just had an uneasiness, which is kind of a, you, you don't want to have that leading up to preaching. You know, that something's not quite right. And I've learned when, whenever that happens, I just go to the Lord. I mean, I can go to other people. Hey, what do you think of their life? I don't know. You're the one up there. You better figure this out, dude, because it's three days. So going to other people helps, but not as much as going to the Lord. And I, when there's anxiety or tension or uneasiness or unrest or stress, I just go to the Lord and I just, I just tell him, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on, but I, I just don't feel right about this. And lo and behold, he loves those kind of prayers, by the way. He loves those kind of prayers. And he started to gently work with me. It's always gently. I mean, I can hear it, but it's gentle, like a father, right? And he says, Matt, you're getting hung up again on my commands as if there's some, those are things I want you to do. And I'm like, well, it's love and action, right? My action. <laughs> it's my action. Okay, they're marks of a true Christian, but they're marks that I am empowering you and guiding you and leading you. Matt, you can't do that. And I mean, I look at the first one. Love must be, must be sincere. You start unpacking that word. That word sincere means it's a genuine affection toward others, you know, toward enemies. And I'm like, whoa. I'm inconsistent on a good day. You know, I'm not just, I can't do that. Another definition of that word sincere is don't pretend. I mean, you actually have to love people. You can't just act like you love them on the outside, right? Doing good things for them and stuff. It actually has to be true inside. And I'm like, I'm done. I, my love is inconsistent. God's like, shocker. You know, and he's like, I know that. And he began to show me, sometimes I love, you know, just to please other people, just to get attention. You know, I can love you and act like I love you. You get a lot of attention in church when, you, when you've got the love thing going. You know, you get a lot of attention. Sometimes I love just to get love back. I want to be loved. And in my mind, it's like give and take. I'll give love to you because I, I don't want to be rejected. You know, I want, I want to receive love back. Or sometimes I love because that's what good Christians do. You know, they love people. And I want to be a good Christian. Or sometimes I love because I don't want to disappoint God. I mean, he's telling me, man, your love must be sincere. And so I get messed up on Do you guys get hung up on that? I get hung up on that. <clears throat> Just like that, I slip into, this is stuff I got to do, when in reality, there's no way I'm going <laughs> to, I can love like that, not apart from God. Right? So what happens is I, I start to get anxious and I start to feel guilt because I know what's really going on. The problem with all those ways that I love is they're not really about you or God. They're about me. I'm not devoted to you. I'm not honoring you above you, above myself. It's about me. 
I want attention. I don't want to be rejected. I want to please God. I mean, all these things. It's not very sincere. And God has a way of just gently reminding me, Matt, look through this passage again. Every one of those things, joy, hope, patience, faithfulness, love, they're fruits of the Spirit, right? They're fruits of the Spirit. They're not fruit of Matt. They're fruits of the Spirit. And I'm like, oh, oh, that's right, Lord. And I will tell you, if you're, if you're camped on a, on a section of Scripture that's talking about commands and what good Christians do and the mark of a good Christian, I guarantee you, you'd better get that into the right context or you're going to walk away under pressure. And maybe you've done that. God would never command us to do something he doesn't give us the ability to do. So in Romans 12, 9 through 13, somewhere around there, there is the context that tells me how that's possible in my life. And in this case, it's Romans 12, 1. You got to learn how to read your Bible, man. It's so important. So important. Romans 12.1 starts to clear the picture up a little bit. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifice, a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Well, that's starting to make a little more sense now, right? I can't do this. I can't love like that. I don't have that kind of joy. I don't have that kind of peace. But if I offer myself to God as a living sacrifice, he can produce that stuff in me. I'm feeling better about this, right? You guys feeling better about this? God produces this. I can't do this. So then I'm starting to look at, okay, well, what is offering my body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God? What does that look like? You ever thought about that? Wouldn't it be cool if it was just a one-time thing, like, okay, here. And then for the rest of my Christian life, I know that it's God doing this all through me, but it's not that easy, right? At least it's not for me, man. Because I may offer myself on the altar to God, but for some reason, I like to wiggle off of that thing, right? I like to just, okay, one minute I'm on, and one minute I'm off. One minute God's in control. One minute I'm like, no, I think I got this. And it's just this, that's my life. One minute I'm on the altar, one minute I'm off the altar. I don't know if you can relate. But it's tough to offer your bodies as, as a living sacrifice. I mean, first of all, he's talking about our entire body. Not just physical. He wants my mind. He wants me to offer my mind. What I'm willing to think about. He wants me to offer my heart, my passions, my dreams, my goals, everything, my direction in life. He wants me to offer that to him. My will everything offer on the altar to God. In the Old Testament, animals were sacrificed on the altar. And interestingly enough, the way they built that altar, there were these four like horns on the four corners of the altar. And you know why those things were there? One of the reasons anyway was to tie that, that animal down because that animal's not dumb. He's probably sensing what's going to happen. You know, you see some guy up there with a knife and all these people, like, so he starts getting a little nervous, right? So he's trying to wiggle off that altar. They had to tie him down. The Old Testament sacrifices were dead. God wants a live sacrifice. But I'm always trying to wiggle off of that thing. Why is that? I take it to God. Matt, 
Matt, you don't trust me, right? We're working on this. The things that you take back and try to control, you don't trust me with that yet, but you will. The things you leave on the altar, you know I can handle. I want your whole life. We'll get there. We'll get there. A living sacrifice but we wiggle off because we like to be in control. So now what do I do? Okay, well, I, that's my life. One minute I'm on, the one minute I'm off. And God says, get the context, man. Go back a little bit further. What am I trying to say to you before you offer yourself to me as a living sacrifice? Something has to happen before a human being will willingly offer their entire body to God as a living sacrifice. What is it? Romans 12, 1 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy. What is that? It's the first 11 chapters of Romans. We're never to forget the mercies of God. We're never to forget what, he, what he's done on our behalf. As soon as I detach from the gospel, as soon as I move away from what God has accomplished for me and in me and wants to do through me, I'm, I'm on my own. I jump off the altar. I try to go be a good Christian. I try to impress everybody. And God brings me back. Don't forget the gospel, Matt. Look at everything through the gospel, What's the gospel? We just studied the gospel, right? Every one of these letters, correct me if I'm wrong, every one of these books of the Bible, every one of these letters that we read, before there's any commands, before there's anything that God's asking us to do, he, re he reminds us, this is who I am, this is who you are, this is what I rescued you from, this is who you are now. Because he never wants us to operate without that. He never wants us to maneuver in the world without being under that covering. In this case, may we take a quick journey through the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans, and it starts in Romans chapter 3, where we were in a difficult, terrible situation as a human race. We were in trouble, people. We were in trouble. Paul sums it up in Romans 3, starting in verse 9. The first two and a half chapters, three and a half chapters of Romans, he paints a picture of the human race that, you know, sometimes I don't want to go back there, but I have to go back there. I gotta, uh, God wants me to remember, I saved you from this, man. Romans 3, verse 9 says, What shall we conclude then? Do we have any advantage? Not at all. For we have already made the charge that Jews and Gentiles alike are all under the power of sin. We were all under the power of sin with no way out. As it is written, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There is no one who does good, not even one. Do you think he's trying to prove a point here? Nobody's good. Nobody's righteous. 
There isn't even anyone looking for righteousness. There's no one who's even seeking this. I don't know where the whole seeker-sensitive thing started, but there ain't no one seeking God. We were lost in this situation, didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. On the express train to hell, when was the last time you thought about where you were going? Hell is a real place. Number one, we don't cease to exist. Oh, we very mu- we're very much conscious of what's going on. You don't cease to exist in hell. You're there, and you are tormented for eternity, okay? And you know it. It never ends forever. Torment, never ceasing. You're awake. You can feel it. You know it. That's where we were going. That's where we were born going. And if somebody hadn't intervened, that's where we surely would have landed. My gosh, somebody did intervene. Thank God somebody intervened. Paul tells us in Romans 3, 21, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. He intervened. We're not going there anymore. Is that a good thing? I don't care what's going on in your life right now. We're not going there. That's a good thing. That's the way I I like to wake up in the morning. I'm saved from that. I have Christ's righteousness. Unrighteous people don't go to heaven. Takes righteousness but a righteousness that I can't produce. It takes Christ's righteousness, and it was freely given to me. I didn't earn it. I didn't even ask for it. It was freely given to me. We stand before God, justified freely by his grace. Free for me, it cost him. Redemption came through Jesus and nothing else. We are redeemed people. Amen. We're redeemed from hell. We're redeemed from that. We're not going there. Amen. I know what you're thinking, man. Sometimes I don't feel very redeemed. (laughs) I don't feel very righteous, even though I have Christ's righteousness. Got up today, man, it's dark. I found out I was preaching on, you know, the spring forward since that's a let one last hour of your day. I gotta get up really it's dark, it's pounding rain, and and I start to feel the pre you're preaching. And just you know how it is that just that the enemy and all this other oh that's blah 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 blah. You've been there? And I go to the Lord. scared. I don't know how this is going to go. I'll be with you, man. 
where is that tension? I thought I was redeemed. I thought I was all saved and everything. I'm going to heaven. Paul explains in Romans uh, chapter 8, verse 9. Am I the only one that feels this battle? Romans chapter 8, verse 9 says, You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. There, there's the dividing line between redeemed and unredeemed people. If you have the Spirit of Christ living in you, Holy Spirit. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. There it is, man. There it is. I'm still in this earth suit. I'm still, I don't have my new body yet. You don't have your new body yet. Even though I have Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, living inside of me, I'm still in this body that's prone to sin, that's prone to wander. I still have to deal with that. You still have to deal with that. But when I'm bumping up against stuff, when I'm bumping into sins and I start thinking, I'm never going to overcome this. I can't get through this. I'm never going to have victory over this. Let me read for you this next verse. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Did you catch that? I have the spirit, you have the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead in you, okay? So I don't know. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what sins you're struggling with. I know what sins I'm struggling with. And I'm not trying to simplify, oversimplify this or minimize, minimize the struggle that we have, but let's just start with this. The one that rose Jesus from the dead lives in me. I'm gonna start there and then figure out how we're gonna deal with this sin issue, okay? Well, you don't understand this sin that, he rose Jesus from the dead, okay? He rose Jesus from the, that's pretty powerful. That's an amazing power. I don't know what sin it is, but if he can rise, raise Jesus Christ from the dead, he can raise me to new life. And again, it's more than that. There's more to sanctification and getting through these sin issues than that, but let's start with that fact, amen? How do we even get here? How do we get a God like that? Why am I redeemed? How did I end up in this kingdom of God, this spiritual realm, this on my way to heaven? I was on my way to spend an eternity apart from God in torment forever. Now I'm in this whole new kingdom. This whole, my, my whole destiny has changed. Your entire destiny has changed. How did that even happen? It was God's mercy. You know, we just got through the campaign. I'm hoping you guys had a chance to be in a small group, right? Hear the sermons. And um, I don't know about you, but there were a couple weeks where there was some tension in my small group. Man. It was a little tense because there are some scriptures, some doctrine that you just can't avoid if you're going to talk about the gospel. 
anytime this God's sovereignty and election stuff comes up, people go sideways. And I, I just want to say, I mean, it's a legitimate, it's hard. It is a hard doctrine. When you're talking about God chose you before you were ever born, he elected you to be saved, things pop into your head like, well, what about <laughs> the other people? And what about maybe family members and why should I even share my faith if God's just choosing everybody? You know, all, those stuff, all that stuff comes up, and it's legitimate things to wrestle with. And I would encourage you to continue. People have been wrestling with this stuff for years, for thousands of years. There's libraries full of books about trying to figure all that out. But I just want to caution you in your wrestling with that. Don't fall into the trap where you think God owes you something. The Apostle Paul was dealing with this stuff every single day. In Romans 9, he's answering again. A question came up, comes up all the time. When you talk about God saving some and not others, people, well, that's not fair. That's not fair. Those other people didn't even have a chance, right? Please be careful with that. Because when you say that God's not fair, you have this base position that everyone deserved to go to heaven, some did and some didn't, and that's not fair. You just shifted from none of us deserve to go to heaven. We just went through that. We are all unrighteous. We were born in sin. Nobody deserves to go to heaven. Otherwise, it wouldn't be grace that saves us, right? He saves some. He has mercy on some. I don't have any idea why he doesn't have mercy on, all, on everybody. I don't know the answer to that. But it's not because he's unjust, and it's not because he's not fair. I'm going to leave that up to him. All I know is he's righteous, he's holy, and he's good, and he must have a really good reason, and I'm not going to get all sideways about that because I trust him and I love him. But it's hard. In Romans 9, Paul's answering a question. What then shall we say? Is God unjust? Not at all, for he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And, and please get this. This is so critical. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on what? On God's mercy. It, in the end, it doesn't matter what I want or what I've done or what I think. What matters is he had mercy on me. And let me just ask a favor this morning, just for, just for one second. Those questions are legitimate. People have been asking them for thousands of years. Can we just set that over here for one second and think about this for a minute? He chose you. He chose you because he wanted you. He chose you before you were ever born.
before you ever did anything good or bad. This doctrine is supposed to bring believers comfort. That we don't have to worry about it. Because if I was chosen based on stuff I did, then you know what's going on in my head. I, I could be unchosen in a heartbeat because I'm messing up all the time. He wants to prove a point. It's not about me. It's not about effort. It's not even about my desire. It was about his mercy. He chose us because he wanted us. I stopped asking why. It's not that we're all that valuable, but he finds value in us. Amen. You know how I know that? Do you know how I know that he finds value in us? Look what he paid. Look what he was willing to pay to secure our destiny. He would not have given up his only son for someone invaluable. Amen. And when we think about this stuff and we have this gospel-centered understanding, I was lost. And now I'm saved. And it's not because of anything I did. It's because of his mercy. I go back to Romans 12 and I read it again. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. After getting the context right, after keeping the gospel in the forefront of my thinking, what do I have left to do? I offer myself to God. I want him in control of my life, okay? He's the one that put this whole thing together. He's the one that's righteous. He's the one that saved me. He's the one with the sincere love. He's the one that can produce all this. Just take me. I mean, it's the only logical response we can have. Take me, Lord. Use me. For whatever you want, I totally trust you. And you know, when you make an offering like that, to a God like that, stuff starts to happen in your life. I mean, things start to change. Verse 2, do not conform it to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know what the first thing I started to notice? I started looking at God's system, God's incredible plan, and when I meditate on that, I stay in that. You know, I'm in Romans 1 through 11 every single day. I have to stay in the gospel. I have to stay there before I go to the commands. But when I look at that, and then I look at the, what the world offers, it's just lame, okay? It's just lame. The world is all about me, me, me. Look at me. I can do this. I don't need any help. Bragging, the pride of life, boasting about what he has and does. That's the world. And all of a sudden, when you look at God saying, man, you can't do anything apart from me, man, but in me, we can change it. I'm in that. And the world system just looks like dumb to me. Notice how he doesn't say the world's people. They're lost. Okay? They haven't experienced the mercy of God yet. And the 
only reason you and I have is because he chose us. When I understand that, and I look at the world and, and all the crazy stuff going on out there, I have a different viewpoint. I have compassion. They're lost. It's the system that's corrupt, the system that they live in. And I say to God, I don't want to conform to that anymore. Transform my mind, and then, then I'm going to be able to know your will. Then I'm going to be able to connect with your heart. And it just gets better from there. It just gets better from there. Look at Romans 12, verse 3 through 8. This is our vision for a small group ministry here at Golden Hills. This is what we would hope to see begin to take shape and begin to take form in our small groups. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He's reminding us, don't have a high opinion of yourself. The only reason you're here is because God has given you. The only reason you could do anything is because God gives us the faith to do it. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. All of those generated by the gifts given to us through faith by the Holy Spirit, producing that from an individual life, surrendered to God, offered to God, because he had mercy on me. Now, each individual with that kind of mindset, with that kind of worldview, comes together with other brothers and sisters, and together by God's incredible design, he begins to put these pieces together so that as a group, as a church, as a small group, as a family, whatever, when people with this mindset discover their gifting and their calling and they come together, God can use them to change the world. That's the vision for small groups. That wouldn't just be a place to go and learn more. It would be a place to go and discover who you are in Christ, a place to go to receive mercy, to learn about the gospel, to discover your calling and your gifting, an opportunity to then use that, connect with those other people, and then be used by God. That's the vision. And it's all founded in his mercy. He had mercy on us. Are we there yet? Are our groups there yet? No. And we stumble and we struggle because we're in these bodies. We don't have our new bodies yet. But when we struggle, and we will, and we get anxious, and we will, we go back to the cross again and again and again. We go back to the gospel. I was lost. 
horribly lost. And he chose me. And he saved me, and he redeemed me, and he gave me the righteousness of his son. And he promises to be with me even on earth while I wait for my incredible new life in heaven. And he empowers me and he gifts me. And I get to be a part of all that. And when I struggle or I stumble, I go back to the one who loves me with a sincere love. The one who had mercy on me. Amen. God, I just thank you this morning. I thank you for your grace. I thank you for your mercy. You saved us. I stopped asking why. Why me? I don't, I don't know. God, we offer ourselves as sacrifices this morning not to atone for sin, but because atonement for sin has been made. Take our lives. Take our hearts. Fully devoted. Trusting you. Use us, God. In Jesus' name.